One of the great Indian masters, Patanjali, wrote a lot of philosophical books about yoga and spiritual science. And he had a concept, his most famous concept, Ashtanga Yoga. There is actually a tradition these days called Ashtanga Yoga, which doesn't seem to have much in similarity with Patanjali's concepts of Ashtanga Yoga. Patanjali's Ashtanga Yoga meant the eight limbs of yoga, and he had a series of eight steps, if you like, levels of development in in yoga. And yoga meaning union, union with the divine, experiencing the oneness of the universe, of the cosmos, of all that is. So he has these stages, kind of a graded curriculum almost of here's the levels that you need to go through. And they're essentially types of meditation. The first one is yama, which means ethics, morality, doing the right thing. And so he, there are is a traditional set of five principles of yama, of doing the right thing. Some of them are fairly obvious. Uh, ahimsa, do no harm. Non-violence, you know. Truth. We try and tell the truth. Or if not literal facts, then maybe even better to tell, use words in ways that are compassionate and beneficial for all. Not stealing, giving respect to others and others' property. I think it means also respecting property in general and uh, looking after it well. Looking after things. One that's kind of interesting to have in the list is a parigraha, which means living simply or sustainably, not being greedy and not taking more than you need. Quite relevant in today's focus on sustainability. And the last one is brahmacharya, which is variously described. Some people use brahmacharya to mean um, what's the word in English? Not having sex. Chastity. But it's the the root word actually means something more to do with uh, living with. God in every action, living with the divine in every action, doing things in a in in a way that is in tune with the divine. And I see this as the really deepest aspect of doing the right thing, 
is that to truly do the right thing, you have to do what is in line with the cosmic flow, the cosmic will. And to do that, you have to tune into that and learn what it is. And so this is a process of intuition, of listening to your inner guidance, to that inner voice. So if you're truly going to do the right thing, you need to, it needs to go a little bit deeper than simply following some rules. It needs to go into actually feeling what's right in a profound way. The second stage is Niyama, which is personal development. Opening your mind, becoming at peace, cleansing your mind of negative thoughts. These are things that are kind of commonly practiced and understood in people who are working on themselves. You need to deal with your issues. You need to be peaceful. You need to come to faith in the universe. You need to keep the mind open to constantly be learning. And these can be done as meditations, but they don't need to be meditations. They could be done as writing in your journal or having healing sessions or seeing your therapist. But you can see that they go a little bit further, a little bit of an extension from doing the right thing in terms of we're just not, not just worried about the actions, we're worried about what's going on inside yourself and how can I become a better person. And this can help with doing the right thing, of course, because when you are a better person, then greater actions come out of your natural instinct, your natural self. The next phase in Patanjali's system, Ashtanga Yoga, is asana. Asana means a seat or a way you sit or a posture. So yoga postures are normally called yoga asanas. And yoga postures is a great way of developing asana. It's like we're working beyond just the inner development to how can I express this in the body and through the body finding it in a more experiential way now it doesn't have to be yoga postures to be asana asana can mean sitting in lotus posture and with your back straight It can be doing interesting stretches like in yoga. It can mean learning to dance, doing ballet, doing martial arts. Now all of these can be done in a deeper or more shallow way. They're all developing this principle of asana, of 
expressing the spirit through the body. The very well-formed classical forms I really appreciate because they express the deepest spirit through the body. The other forms also express something and have their own value. And there's much that can be developed in how to do asana in the deepest possible way. We can learn particular qigong forms, we can do yoga asanas in a way that is more, you know, yoga postures in a way that is more profound. We can choose dance forms that create that deep experience. etc. But whatever way we take, it leads us to the next stage. Now the next stage in Patanjali's system is pranayam. Pranayam normally being seen as breath control. But prana is actually the chi, the energy. And so it's the development and cultivation of your energy. Now the interesting thing here is, if you see it as breath, it's a very natural progression. We've been working with our body. And as we work with our body, we need to work with our breath. The breath naturally moves with the body. But to do breath work in a deep way requires a concentration of mind as well. The breath focuses the energies that the mind is already cultivating. If you are concentrating on something negative, you can actually strengthen it through breathing in particular ways. Or you can release it, depending on how you do it. So, I have a certain disagreement with Patanjali on this. I don't necessarily think that pranayam is the best next step after asana. I think that it's worth learning a bit about how the mind functions and the ability to focus the mind before we really get into that development of the inner energy. But it can be done the other way too. And uh, I'm not completely convinced that I'm right. So I'll come back to pranayam. And we'll move on to the next, which is dharana. Dharana. It means focus. No, I... I am incorrect. I, I, I tell a lie. I skipped one. The next one is pratyahara. Pratyahara means withdrawal, withdrawing from the world. So it's a kind of meditation where you allow yourself to drift off, to daydream, to become 
to shift away from worldliness to something else. And this can be done in a very light way, like I said, daydreaming. It can be just allowing the mind to drift. Or it can also be done through focused exercises where you imagine yourself traveling through your chakras out through the top of your head to to the other world. The Jewish tradition actually achieves it quite well through a little physical process of taking three steps forward. Uh, taking the three steps into the other world and uh, with it taking the mind to the other world. So if you take those three steps and then allow the mind to do its thing, it's already drifting. It can be done by simply awareness, paying attention to all of the sounds and all of the experiences around you and expanding that and getting a sense of how we're part of not just this little valley and the birds here but the other valleys and the towns around and the country and the earth and the sense of being part of the cosmos which takes us away from our immediate focus on here Interestingly, paradoxically, how that seems to be different to being in the now that is so popular and Eckhart Tolle is talking about. But it's not really different. So it's actually another spin on the same thing. Because the eternal now, the eternal moment, is also related to the eternal space, the universal consciousness, the now is not only the limited physical space that you are, but it connects you to the to the universal, to the everything, to the all. So when you've learnt to withdraw from the world to go to that other world and connect to the universal then we move on to dharana dharana being focus so focus is where you get mantras and you get focus on chakras and you get focus on different parts of the body, different energy systems Uh, most of the different traditions have some kind of of energy system. We have the chakras, we have the meridians from the Chinese system, we have the uh, tree of life, the svirat of the Kabbalistic system, we have the different subtle regions of the heart from the Sufi Islamic tradition, we have the long white robe and the starry crown of the Christian tradition which is the aura and the halo yeah. Uh, 
and probably missed some traditions out. But that's okay, you get the point. There are many. And the focus on that, those energy systems, on that, on your body, on those energy points, this is most of what dharana is about. And in that, it becomes a, a kind of a healing process. You focus... It's important that the focus comes after being able to connect to the universal. This is why we do pratyahara first. This is why there is this withdrawal first, because it's connecting to the universal. And then bringing that universal energy that we tune into, into different places in our body, different elements of our energy system that need healing and revitalizing. And when we have can do that, we can tune in keeping that universal connection, then we vitalize all of those aspects of ourselves and bring in that spiritual energy. And this leads naturally to pranayam. Pranayam being the focus and cultivation of that energy through the breath. So as we breathe in, we're breathing in that universal energy. And we we breathe out, we're breathing out to the universal energy. Maybe breathing out our negativities to that universal energy. There are so many different variations on this pranayama. But they all come from the same principles. Now all of the traditions have pranayama in some form. Even if they don't talk about it, they still have it. Because it's such a natural process. As we develop our own understanding of any path, any practice, we get an understanding of the breath and the energies. And that can be art forms that wouldn't normally be seen as spiritual. Swing dancing. You step out of the worldliness into this other world when you get into really get into the swing. And then you learn to focus on your center. Normally we think about the belly. Strengthening the core muscles. And then we learn how the breath flows and how that brings through the joy of the experience. Swing dancing was never seen, never consciously developed as a spiritual practice. But it can be. As could many other dance forms, tango, ballet. Permaculture, uh, gardening, 
could equally hold the same as could music. It's all the same thing. So having developed this pranayam, this ability to bring in the universal energy using your breath, to amplify and strengthen your energy, you're ready to throw yourself into that energy. So you're not just bringing the energy through you, you're bringing yourself into that flow of energy. And this is called dhyan. And it creates an experience of transcendent love. How everything is love and love flows constantly. Many traditions use this, do this in a way that is relates to their guru, to their master. They often imagine their master and the love that they feel between them and their master. It's possible to do it simply feeling the love itself without the master. Or a technique that I like is to imagine yourself inside your head and feel the warm light that shines on you from inside the head. I like that technique just because it's simple. Um, But they all do the same thing. And you don't actually need a technique. You can just tune into the love. Then moving beyond dhyan, we get to samadhi. Now samadhi is absorption or like getting lost in the experience. This is when you stop concentrating and you're just taken. This is when you just experience the divine experience without needing to put any effort in or to do anything in particular. This is just sit. And when samadhi becomes a permanent experience, this is what people call enlightenment. The flavor changes a little bit from dhyan. In dhyan, you have a very much a sense of the love, the flow of love. In in the samadhi experience, it tends to become more like joy. Uh, a lighter in some way, more normal, but still very joyous and very profound and, and very loving, but loving in a in a lighter way. Because you are no longer actively loving. Now love just is everywhere and everywhere that you look doesn't take your action to create love. It doesn't take you to be in the 
flow of love, to make love, because love is, love is, love is everywhere, love is underlying the nature of the universe. And when you see this, perhaps this is samadhi. There are different levels of samadhi, experiences that you can have, but they all take you away from practice into experience. It's something that happens to you rather than you doing. Now samadhi was the end point of Patanjali's system. And it's a pretty good end point. It's already like beyond practice, beyond the mind something that is uncontrollable, unboxable. But I think there are a couple of stages that we go through beyond that. One of them is what we could call Tantra or spiritual science. Maybe Tantra is a better word. It's about living the enlightenment in everything that you do. So Tantric disciplines... You know, Tantra has some some particular meanings to different people that are kind of uh, limited understandings of it. It's not wrong to say that Tantra is about sex as in the West it tends to be seen Um, and in the East, in India, Tantra is seen as magic but both of these are limited concepts of what Tantra means Tantra is liberation technology it's practices and exercises that create that experience of oneness and connection. And it's these experiences and ways of living that you can spend your whole life, every aspect of your life, expressing and sharing that oneness and connection, that samadhi. And so, yes, this includes sex. can also include the food that you eat, the music that you play, the way that you dance, the kind of job that you do, the way you talk, the kind of art that you appreciate and create. And so Tantra, in this form, in this sense, uh, Tibetan Buddhism is seen as Tantric Buddhism, and Anandamaga Yoga is seen as Tantric Yoga, because they are expressions of this this oneness, this samadhi, 
expressed in action in all aspects of life, or in at least in many aspects of life. And this also allows us to teach those who have experienced samadhi. You know, it's not very easy to teach it. You can't talk to people about it. You can't tell people, this is what you do. It's something that has to happen to you. But if you create tantric practices, practices, exercises, ways of living, things that we do, art, whatever it is, that create that feeling, then it leads people slowly towards that feeling of unity and connection and samadhi. And naturally through all of those stages of Ashtanga Yoga. And perhaps the next phase after Tantra is Sadvipra, which is where we become an enlightened leader, where we take action in the world and we decide to make a difference. We use that inspired, elevated consciousness that is connected with all things to create little by little a world that is more connected more collaborative, more sharing, more loving, more caring. Or perhaps these two, Tantra and Sadvipra, belong the other way around. Perhaps we learn to become a Sadvipra first. An enlightened activist. change agent and then we begin to master Tantra and expressing it in all aspects of our life I'm not sure for certain but I do think that these stages are important and that it's important for us to develop these personally and important for the world that people do develop these because this is what enables us to harmonize the world around us, to learn to live in harmony as a society, and therefore to learn to live sustainably, as is so much our challenge at the moment. So there are clear phases in our growth in our meditations, in our spiritual practice, clear phases that mark the growth towards enlightenment, if you will, or sadvipra. And these phases 
pretty universal, if not completely universal. They're found in all traditions, and no matter how you pursue your own spiritual awakening, your own spiritual growth, these are phases that you will go through. And learning them in a formal way where somebody teaches you how to do each one of them and they become a different kind of meditation that you do as you grow. A series of lessons in meditation that can be of benefit to some people. I, I teach a, a few meditations based on this principle and trying to keep them as simple as, and as universal as possible so that they're not about any particular tradition but simply about understanding and working with that core principle. And some other traditions teach these in a similar way. I have a lot of experience with the Anandamaga tradition and I think they teach it quite well. Most of the time. Of course, whatever tradition you choose it does depend a little bit on the quality of the teacher and to look for somebody who has experienced these levels of consciousness who understands what it is to be at one with the universe, to be in the eternal moment. Probably helps. But you don't need a teacher if you don't want one. The process is universal. The process is simple. Just keep going deeper and see what you find.